Hey, this is Pastor Jason Deshaw at Redeemer Church in Fridley, Minnesota. Welcome to our podcast. My hope for you is that this message helps deepen your relationship with God and leaves you feeling encouraged. For more information about who we are, message notes, and discussion questions, visit us at RedeemerMN.org. Good morning, church. So good to see all of you. Uh, Just a couple hours ago, uh, I got a text from a good friend. Sean Lambert, uh, missionary that we support, uh, YWAM leader extraordinaire in San Diego, Baja, California. And um, he just simply said this morning in a text, uh, home to see mom, see you at the 1030 service, or looking forward to seeing you at the 1030 service. I replied, that's great. Looking forward to seeing you too. He walked in, uh, gave me a big hug, and all he said to me is, I came a long way to hear you this morning, don't stink. <laughs> so Sean, thanks for that word of encouragement. Appreciate it. Yep. I'll try my best not to stink, all right? We're concluding this series in the book of James, and James has given us some wonderful, practical, great advice and some great wisdom. We looked at how do we persevere through tough challenges and struggles, and how to do that with joy, how do we improve our relationships, particularly when it comes to how we listen and how we manage our anger. We talked about the power of our words, how they, have, they can either be agents of harm or agents of blessing. And then last week, James walked us through our biggest problem, our sin problem. And he gave us 100% guaranteed success rate solution. And that is to come to Jesus Christ. Today, we got one last lesson to look at. And appropriately, it's at the very end of the book because it's really about what happens when you're at the end of your rope, when you're running out of steam, when you feel burnt out, when you're not sure where to turn. And then James writes these amazing words in James chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. I'll read them for you. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call on the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Our final word of wisdom from James is about prayer. Now, I know that for some of you, prayer doesn't sound like the most exciting topic to talk about. For some, just that word prayer can bring up conflicting emotions. For some people, you hear that word prayer and you get the sense of, oh, Pastor John, I know I should do that more. There's kind of this guilt or this sense of obligation that goes with it. You feel like you just don't do it enough. So let's just go ahead and get on the same page. Let's have a mass confession this morning. Who here has ever thought, I should pray more? Go ahead and raise your hand. Yeah, we all do. We all have. Maybe for you, prayer raises up some insecurities. You've heard people pray and they sound smart or religious or they quote scripture and you think, gee, I could never pray like that. I heard about a kid trying to learn the Lord's Prayer in Sunday school and he prayed, our Father who art in heaven, Harold be your name. He thinks God's name is Harold. Some of you might feel like, you know what, I'm just too busy to pray. I read this last week that the average person makes 35,000 decisions, conscious decisions every day. 35,000. How in the midst of that do you have time for another decision or another task? Who has time to pray? For others of you, you've tried to pray and you feel like it just kind of didn't work because your mind kind of wandered. Anyone here ever wander, mind wander when they pray? Yeah, some of your minds are wandering right now. All right. Maybe you feel, you know, you might be feeling skeptical about prayer. Maybe you prayed for something for a long time, a family member about an illness or something you needed, 
and God didn't answer it, at least in the way that you hoped. Regardless of which one of these scenarios might resonate with you, they all lead to the same outcome. We end up praying less or we don't pray at all. And what's interesting about that is oftentimes we don't feel like we're missing that much, do we? I know for me, if I'm honest, when it comes to my behavior, I assume life will pretty much be the same whether I pray or not. And that's how so many people feel today, especially in the church. But when you look at Jesus' disciples, they viewed prayer as a matter of utmost importance. Luke 11:1, 1, it starts out and says this, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. I'll pause there. Jesus would often do this. He'd be in a busy crowd. People would be coming to him with all sorts of questions and requests, or can you heal me, or can you do this, and can you do that? And Jesus would like slip off away and, and go pray. It almost seems rude. Then that verse continues. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Notice he didn't say, Jesus, you have to stop sneaking away like this. It's not good PR. Jesus, run a tight schedule here. Quit, quit messing it up. Jesus, you're kind of a big deal right now. Let's capitalize on that. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. Which is intriguing because if you look in all four of the Gospels, the only thing the disciples ever explicitly ask Jesus to teach them is to pray. I mean, think about this. They watched Jesus calm the storm. They watched Jesus turn water into wine. They watched Jesus raise people from the dead. And yet there's no record of them saying, Jesus, teach us these things. Yet they asked Jesus, teach us to pray. Why? Because they could see that the power and the presence and the wisdom and the life of Jesus was rooted in this particular practice, this conversation with God. Now, when you look at James, James who wrote this book wasn't just any disciple. He was the brother of Jesus. So he grew up watching his brother. And so he watched how Jesus prayed and when he prayed and why he prayed. And in that verse that I read at the beginning, those, three, those few verses from James 5, James gives us five really good, important lessons to help us kind of overcome our guilt or our fear or our doubts or our confusion about prayer. And this morning, I simply want to walk them through with you. The first one is this. Prayer starts where you are. Remember, James, begin, James begins, are you in trouble? <laughs> you should pray about that. Are you happy? Well, then start there. If you're sick, ask people to pray for you. Start there. In other words, prayer is this authentic interaction with God about whatever's going on in your life. So often when people pray, they go to almost this inauthentic place. They change their tone or their posture or their demeanor or they talk in a different voice to God. And you hear people do that and you think, does God hear them better when they do that, when they sound religious? Or sometimes you think, well, if I just say the right words, I can kind of activate God to work in my life. And so you say, God, I know you're omnipotent. I know you're omniscient. I know you're omnivorous or whatever omni word you come up with. And you're throwing them out there thinking, I hope God hears one of these words. But both of these things have the same thing in common. And that's this, you're praying how you think you should pray. And James says, prayer starts with who you are. Are you in trouble? Talk to God about it. Ask for help. Express your feelings. Get angry at God if you have to. Be honest. Be real. Express what's going on inside of you. Prayer is not about saying certain words. You can pray when you're not even using words. Prayer comes from the depth of your soul. Paul writes in the book of Romans, we do not know what to what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. It's amazing, it's encouraging. Even the Apostle Paul didn't know what the words to say. 
He was confused about what to pray. But he says, prayer is groaning, it's longing, it's craving, it's aching. You don't have to try to pray. You just let what's ever in the depth of your soul come up and then mention it to God. That's why Jesus would often go to a quiet place to retreat and pray. It wasn't because he was an introvert and needed to get away from people. I think he wanted to quiet his soul. So whatever was resonating in there, he could kind of let those longings come up to the surface and he could then express them to God. And friends, we all have deep stuff going on inside of us. Things like disappointment and anger and fear and joy and gratitude and hope and longing and expectation. Prayer simply begins when you realize that's where God wants you to start. Start where you are. Secondly, our prayers are received. It's not just something you say. It's not something you say for your own benefit. God is listening. Maybe you prayed for something from God and it was a longing in your heart or, or something that was breaking and it was just urgent and it was hard and you're kind of wondering, God, are you even there? Are you listening? And James gives this concrete answer in verse 15. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. In other words, God is listening. He's paying attention. You may not believe it, but he is. Throughout scripture, one of the most common practices of God is that we read about a God who listens. When Moses is called to free the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, we read in Exodus 3-7, the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out, and I'm concerned about their suffering. God is listening. In 1 Kings 17, the prophet Elijah is staying with a widow and whose son has just died. And Elijah prays and he says, then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord, Lord my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry and the boy's life returned to him and he lived. God is listening. And we're supposed to pray and entrust that God is listening. God is alive and well. He's present. He hears you. Your prayers are not just sent, they're received. The psalmist expressed it this way. He said, uh, are not all my tears on your scroll? Are they not in your record? In other words, God's keeping track. Your prayers are recorded. Your prayers are heard. Thirdly, your prayers can change reality. Your prayers can change the very fabric of reality. In this amazing verse in 516, James says, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Let's just say those words together out loud so you can hear yourself say them. Say them with me. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Do you believe what you just said? James is saying prayer works. It's not just some spiritual exercise we do. Prayer is making a difference. It's not some minor form of influence where you're like, well, let's just say a prayer, and then we can get on to the real business of making this work. Prayer is a major form of influence. There's this amazing story in Mark 9. I'm not going to read it all for you, but Jesus has healed a boy who was possessed by an evil spirit. The disciples had tried to heal them on their own, and they couldn't do it. And Jesus, they come to Jesus and say, can you help us? And he heals the boy. And the disciples say, Jesus, why couldn't we do this? And Jesus responds, this kind can come out only by prayer. Prayer is powerful and effective. It can change reality. It doesn't mean God's going to always give us just what we want, when we want it. Sometimes God answers in a different way. Sometimes God answers on a different timeline. Sometimes God answers yes or wait or not this way. 
but sometimes he answers the prayers just the way we prayed. Just a couple weeks ago, Matt Schmidt, a friend, Pastor Harley and Bev's son, came to me and told me about an answer that his friend got to prayer. And, and so I've invited Nancy and Matt to come on up here, and they're going to just share briefly how God answered their prayer. Good morning, everybody. She's going to share first. It's wonderful to be here. Thanks for inviting me here today. And I'm here to tell you my story about my kidney stone. <laughs> um, last month, I was very sick. I couldn't hold any food down for four or five days. And I was in pain. I had like back pain. So like painful that I don't know how to describe, plus stomach pain. And um, I was end up in ER on Saturday night, that weekend. And then um, they, they found out that I have a kidney stone, 0.9 millimeter. That's big. The doctor told me that, well, you have a big kidney stone, and it cannot pass by itself, you need a surgery. And um, it was, you know, on Saturday, and there was no surgeon at the hospital, so they couldn't do the surgery for me. And then they gave me some pain medicine to go home and wait until Monday to have the surgery. So I went home, and I was nervous. I don't want surgery. So I called Matthew and friends to pray for me. So I, I was at work. I worked the night shift. Um, I got time to pray. So, and I said, Lord, I don't know what to do because I, I usually go pray for the person direct. He said, the Lord said, pull out your cell phone. Here's my phone right here. And he said, he said, text to her. Say the simplest prayer you can get and it'll go through and then, so I said, Lord, I command any big rock, stone, anything that it goes through, I command in the name of Jesus, be healed. And he said, blow on it. And then these people are looking at me like I'm blowing the dust on my phone. <laughs> so, so in the next minute, I blew on it. I felt the power of the Holy Spirit went through my phone, jolted through the phone. And the Lord says, she is healed. And then, so now this goes to her. So I went home, and the night before the surgery, I would stay up late, and then I was sitting at the couch. My husband told me, like, go to bed. You, you need to rest. And I told my husband, I want to pray. So he went to bed first, so I, sit, I was sitting at the couch and then pray. And then I prayed. To the Lord, Jesus, you know, please take this stone away. And I felt the presence of, of the Lord Jesus really strong. And I know that he loves me. He can hear me. And he can heal me. And I believe that he can get this stone away from me. And I know it. So I Keep praying, praying, and then I felt, you know, I felt present of God really strong again. And then um, I go, okay. And then I felt like I felt like a pinch 
a pinch the back, you know, in the back of my back, and then I felt I thought like, oh, maybe just a muscle, you know, ache or something. So I went to bed. So I woke up in the morning. I told I just I don't know I just have some some kind of feeling inside of me that the stone is gone, and I told my husband. You know, I think Jesus took the stone away. The Lord took the stone away. And then he looked at me and smiled at me, you know. And then um, I, I told him again, I think, you know, when we get there, they, they cannot find a stone. So we ate breakfast. And then at noon, he drove me to the hospital. And I told him again, I don't know, just some kind of feeling inside of me that I have to tell him. I told him again, you know, they're not going to find me. When we get there, they're going to do check me again. They're going to find it. Um, it's gone. And then he, he looked at me again. <laughs> he kind of smiled, you know, kind of like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then so I get to the hospital and they prepare me. They put me to sleep. And then they're about to, you know, they locate, they're about to locate my stone. And they couldn't find a stone. So they went inside my kidney. They looked for the stone, and they couldn't find the stone. So I woke up, and I heard somebody call me, like, Nancy, Nancy, wake up. Uh, we cannot find your stone. And then um, they go, like, oh, Jesus took it away. <laughs> and then, and then um, they say, oh, Dr. Jesus took it away. <laughs> and miracle... Does happen. Miracle is real. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening. Thanks, guys. The power of prayer. It's so encouraging to hear how God answers prayer, and He does. Let me just be clear because there's some misunderstanding about this. Even in the church, there can be some misunderstanding of how healing works. But just so you know, God does heal. His presence, his kingdom is here now. We don't receive it yet fully, but it's here. Healing does work. But just so you know, in the Bible, physical healing is never an end to itself. It's always a preview of a foretaste of what is to come. The great example in the Bible is Jesus raises his friend Lazarus from the dead, and he walks out of the tomb, and it's the ultimate act of healing. And Lazarus walks out, body renewed. He continued in his life. He had quite a story to tell, didn't he? But then what happened? One day he got sick again. The doctors couldn't heal him again, and he died. He's the only person that went to his death thinking, oh, no, not again. <laughs> but the point is this. The miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead was not the main event. Yes, God's healing happens, and miracles do happen. But the real miracle was when Jesus comes to Lazarus the second time and says, Lazarus, come out. And I love the way she put it. No more stone. Stone's been rolled away. And this time, Lazarus, it's forever. See, the main event is redemption. The main event is salvation. The main event is forgiveness. And that's why God sometimes answers our prayers differently than we think. He always sees the bigger picture, the bigger story, things we cannot see, things that we cannot know about the future, but God is at work. And our job is not try to see everything that God sees. It's to simply come to God and ask in prayer. Fourthly, prayer always involves confession. You might be thinking, okay, Pastor John, I've got my list together. I'm ready to start praying. And then James throws this curveball. He says, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. 
You don't become righteous by trying to be really good or trying harder to, to just be all right. You become righteous by confessing your brokenness to God. Because sometimes the reality God wants to change is you. And James continues and he says, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. See the connection between the, the, and the direct relationship between confession and healing? They go together. In fact, it's quite interesting. Oftentimes, people feel like prayer's not working because they start in the wrong place. They bring their requests to God and they sense God prompting them in their spirit to say, you know what, John, you really need to let go of that resentment you're holding. Or John, that pattern of dishonesty in your life, you gotta fix that. Prayer works when we're honest, when we confess, when we're real with God. And it's amazing that we can spend so much time and energy trying to have this facade that everything in our life is okay. We work so hard thinking that the pain of confession and admitting that we're broken feels much greater than the pain of pretending, but we get it backwards. Because over time, all that energy spent leads to a place where we say things like, God feels distant. I don't sense his presence anymore. And we think that God's off somewhere and that he's moved far away, but it's not that God's far, it's because we're not being real, we're not being honest. In fact, feeling far from God is not about God's proximity. It's about our pretending. And so when you feel that distance from God, that should be a signal, a warning sign that there's something going on that you need to be willing to say, God, is there something in my heart that needs to be come clean? I need to fess up about. To experience the power of God, we have to stop pretending. You have to be honest about what's going on. And oftentimes you think, well, if I'm honest, you know, God's going to just smite me with his wrath. And yet David writes in Psalm 51, a broken and contrite heart, God will not despise. God loves it when we're honest, when we confess our sins, when we're real with him, because that's where he meets us. And then James takes it a level higher. He says, don't just confess your sins to God. Confess them to each other. How crazy is that? You might be thinking, well, that could be embarrassing, or people might think less of me, or there could be consequences. But yet every time somebody comes clean to God and to someone else, it's when healing begins. You don't beat addiction on your own. You, you don't beat resentment on your own or lustful habits on your own. You need another person. Prayer starts where you are. When you pray, you trust that someone is listening. Your prayers can change reality. Prayer always involves bringing your full confessing self to God. And then James gives us one final nugget. He says, some prayers must be prayed for you. Sometimes praying for yourself is hard. The pain is too great. The grief is too close. The guilt feels too heavy. You just don't feel like you have the strength of faith. You want to give up. And in those moments, you don't need to pray. You need someone to pray for you. Which is why James says, confess your sins, pray for each other. Or when you're sick, call the elders and have them pray for you. The elders in the church are not just old people. They're leaders in the church. People who can have faith when your faith seems to have run out. People who have words when you can't seem to put words in it. Prayer ministers are people who just come up here and stand in the gap with faith and hope and love. Presenting your request and trusting in God's mercy for the outcome. And sometimes we all need someone to stand in the gap for us. Sometimes the situation that we're facing, the difficulty, the struggle, the pattern that we're stuck in feels just overwhelming. And you need someone to stand in the gap for you. Someone to intercede. 
It happens all the time. I think of a person that was going through cancer and we prayed for her and she was healed. I think of Nancy's story and she prayed and Matt prayed and she had others pray for her too and she's healed. People standing in the gap for you. I heard this morning of somebody who was going through depression and a friend prayed for them. It wasn't even at church and the depression lifted. All because somebody had the boldness to ask one simple little question. Can I pray for you? You all might know somebody who's going through a difficulty or challenge. You might not know how to solve the problem. You might not have a clue how to fix it. But you can say, can I pray for you? Don't estimate the power of prayer. Can I pray for you? God is able. This week, God will bring someone in your path, a coworker, a friend, a teammate, a classmate, a neighbor who needs prayer. Maybe they don't even believe in God, but... What a great way to share your faith by just saying, can I pray for you? I believe in a God that can help. And then just say those words. So often, if you're like me, if you say the words, I will pray for you. Most of the time, you remember to do that. Sometimes you don't. You just forget it. But you miss the opportunity. You miss the moment. So this challenge to me, challenge to you this week, is for you just to simply, in the moment, pause and say, can I pray for you? And then just simply Pray for them. Ask them what their need is and lift it before God. We're going to close this service here in just a moment. We're going to do a little different. Wesley is going to come up. I think Rebecca's going to join him. They're going to, we're going to stand. We're going to sing kind of that closing song. It's going to be a little bit more quiet and mellow. And I'm going to ask. I haven't prepared these people in advance. I'm going to ask our prayer ministers, our growth group leaders, our leaders in the church, to come forward and be up here and be willing to pray for you. You're going to simply walk up and say, hey, my name's John. This is what's going on. And they're going to say, can I pray for you? (laughs) And we're going to see God move right here, right now. Burdens, questions, doubts that you're carrying, you can lift up. And you can see God move. And you can trust that he's listening. And that he'll act on your behalf and it can change your reality. Let's close in prayer. Hey, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed listening to this message and you'd like to join us in reaching others by partnering with us today, you can give at RedeemerMN.org give. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button so that you don't miss a single message. 